Hi, I'm Algie Hall, an associate editor here at the Investors Chronicle, and I'm delighted to be talking today to Baruch Lev. Baruch is a leading and award-winning accounting professor from the Stern School of Business in New York. He is an expert in intangibles, and he's written several books on the subject, including his most recent, The End of Accounting. In the book, he explains why the accounting standards that deal with intangibles are the cause of such distortions to companies' income statements and balance sheets, and he also outlines proposals to fix this major issue. He also writes an excellent end-of-accounting blog that I'd highly recommend listeners check out. So, Baruch, if I could just start by asking you, what exactly are intangibles and why are they so important for modern businesses? So let me start with uh, intangibles themselves. The first time I was exposed to the term intangibles was many, many years ago when I was a doctoral student at the University of Chicago. And one day or so I noticed uh, one of the professors uh, was given a, a lecture presentation about intangibles. First time I heard about it, I of course went a big hall, lots of people, and he was uh, standing and talking about uh, uh, intangibles, intangibles like patents and brands, uh, assets. And uh, what I noticed was that he was playing with an ashtray, a big metal ashtray. At that time, you could still uh, smoke indoors. This was so many years ago. And uh, frankly, I found it a little, a little annoying that he was moving the ashtray from one hand to the other. And then he, he ended the presentation and the questions and answer session started. And of course, one of the first questions was uh, Professor Davidson, but uh, intangible assets are not really assets like buildings and factories and others. And all of a sudden, the ashtray falls. He dropped it. Uh, there was no carpet, so it made huge noise. And when the noise subsided, uh, he said, do you really believe that only things that when they fall, they make such a noise are assets? And this made a huge impression. I still remember uh, these things. And uh, of course, uh, the implication was clear in this case. So let me say a word about intangibles. Uh, the shortest definition that I'm familiar with is that intangibles are assets without a physical embodiment. Uh, two elements are important here. First of all, asset. Asset is by definition something that creates benefits. That, that generates revenue, generate cash flows or cost saving. So intangibles are assets. Uh, they are owned either by individuals or by uh, corporations. And uh, they don't have uh, physical uh, embodiment in contrast with tangible or physical uh, assets. So, so examples of intangibles that everyone is familiar with are, of course, patents uh, like Pfizer and AstraZeneca's uh, new patents on the COVID vaccine. 
uh, brands uh, like uh, Coke and uh, Starbucks. It's not clear that these, these products are much better than competitors, but nevertheless, people flock to, uh, to buy them because these are uh, huge brands. Uh, highly skilled employees are, of course, also uh, in tangibles. And uh, there are many intangibles that are much less known to the general public. And I would like to give an example or two. These are usually called organization capital. These are unique ways of doing business that creates lots of value. So think, for example, about the recommendation principle, uh, recommendation algorithm of uh, Amazon, of Netflix, uh, you buy a few things, uh, they recognize your taste and they immediately start bombarding you with uh, emails, you know, of similar <laughs> products and, and other things. Uh, the CEO of Netflix recently said that no less than 85% of all their streamings come from the recommendation algorithm. People follow it. Uh, I, do, I don't watch a series on Netflix if the recommendation is less than 98%. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really rarely, rarely uh, uh, disappointed by this. So this is in contrast with uh, uh, physical uh, uh, assets like buildings and airplanes and drilling uh, equipment. Uh, they create value, meaning they produce products, they provide for services, usually in tandem, both uh, physical and intangible uh, asset. If you think about the iPhone, for example, there, there is the physical iPhone itself uh, instrument that you hold in your hands, but the most valuable thing, of course, uh, is all the software that goes uh, uh, inside. And uh, more and more value is created by those intangible assets. And I mean, I, I think there's a wide recognition that um, whilst intangibles, often there isn't a ready second, um, secondary market for them. So it's quite hard to put a precise price on them. There's a huge amount of shareholder value created. And I think that's generally accepted about amongst investors. But in, t in terms of that, it's very strange how they're actually accounted for by um, in terms of the accounting standards and the way companies have to well, put value on them or not put value on them. Yes. Uh, the accounting issue is a very important uh, uh, issue. And uh, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, the total investment in intangibles is humongous. So we are talking about big, big numbers. Uh, those are investment in research and development, in information technology, in employee uh, training, uh, and those managerial processes that I, I mentioned before. Economists estimate that in the United States, the annual yearly investment in intangibles is around 2.5 trillion with a T dollars. This is a thousand billion uh, dollars. This is a huge amount. 
Uh, this is more than double the annual investment in tangible, in physical assets, in buildings, in factories, in airplanes, and so on and so on. The inflection point where intangibles were rising in investment, tangibles were uh, going down uh, was in the 80s, and we'll see in a few moments uh, why this is the case. But when we think about the accounting for intangibles, uh, for, for the non-accountant listeners, uh, I would like to give a, an extremely brief tutorial. And it has to do with a fundamental difference between expense and investment, expense and an asset. Expense in accounting is something that is a payment for past services, like salaries, like rent, like interest. It doesn't create future benefits. If you want uh, employees to continue working for you, you'll have to continue paying them uh, salaries. Uh, in contrast, assets, investments, are things that create future uh, benefits. Uh, it used to be that there was a complete separation between expenses and investment, expenses and asset. Expenses went to the income statement or the profit and loss statement. This is the statement that ends up with the income of the company, with the measure of performance. So you would first determine all the revenues, sales, for a given period, a quarter, half a year, a year, and then you will match. This is, this is the key word here. You will match against these revenues all the expenses that were incurred in the process of generating the revenues, all the raw materials that went to the products that were sold, all the wages, all the uh, uh, other expenses that went into. And if the matching was good, was accurate, then you would get a residual, an income number, revenues minus expenses, which will do its job. It will reflect the performance of the company. It will reflect the success of managers over a period of time. If the matching was not good, for example, you left out some expenses, then earnings would be inflated, will not really reflect uh, the performance. The problem with intangibles is that the counting is still rooted in the 19th century industrial uh, model. So the accounting rule all over the world, not just in the United States, are that Practically all investment in intangibles, R&D, information technology, brands, employee training are treated like regular expenses. Amazing, yeah. Treated like salaries, treated like, like rent. And so the end result is that the earnings number is completely uh, distorted. I have a friend who teaches uh, finance in a, a leading business school, and he starts his course by asking the class, 
would you invest in a company that reported losses for 15 consecutive years? Now, of course, students laugh and no one raises his hand who said, and, and the professor says, you know, if you did invest in such a company, which by the name, which by the way, its name is Amazon, you would be a billionaire by now. Because Amazon for 12, 15 years uh, consecutively reported uh, losses because of this huge investment in intangibles that were expensed in the income statement. Uh, lucky for Amazon, they had a very charismatic and they still have uh, uh, CEO, Jeff Bezos, who, who managed to somehow convince investors that despite all these accounting losses, these are not really losses. The company is making progress. Same thing with Tesla, uh, with its charismatic uh, CEO, Elon Musk. But most companies don't have such charismatic uh, leaders. And the income that they report doesn't reflect performance of companies. Uh, one more thing, the balance sheet, the balance sheet, because every, all intangibles are expense in the, uh, in the income statement, the balance sheet doesn't include, balance sheet is basically a snapshot of assets and liabilities at a point in time, at the end of the, of the year. The balance sheet doesn't reflect the real assets of the company. If you look at Pfizer's balance sheet today, you will see completely immaterial assets. You will see cash. You will see some office buildings. You will see some inventories. You will not see the, the value of the patents on the COVID vaccines on, on previous blockbusters like uh, Lipitor. So the backbone of information to investors which are the income statement and the balance sheet is completely irrelevant uh, in, in, the, in current days of intangibles. Because there are two, there are two things which, um, kind of in, in, in what you were talking about then, which, um, which I found fascinating reading your work and other people's work whilst I've been looking into this subject. And one is that the more intangibles a company uh, needs to invest in, the more it's... Um, income statement essentially starts to look like a cash flow statement because it's having to account for everything up front, which is what the cash flow statement should be telling us, not the income statement. Yeah. Cash flow statement, cash flow statement is, is a somewhat improved uh, uh, statement over, over the income statement because the income statement is full. That's another issue that I, I don't want to get into. We don't have time. Uh, if, uh, that's maybe for another occasion. Uh, uh, most, most people, most non-accountant, uh, they, they know one thing about accountant, that it's, it's boring. But they think... That I, I would they, say not at all. But <laughs> not at all, okay. The stories uh, are all there. <laughs> Uh, at, at least they think that it's accurate. After all, accounting comes from counting. You count facts, you count money, you count pieces of inventory. There is nothing further from the truth. Everything in accounting is based on managerial estimates 
Depreciation, for example, is based on how long will the asset be pro productive? Who knows about that? Tomorrow, there'll be a new technological advances which will make this asset uh, uh, irrelevant. So cash flows are not subject to all these estimates, but they still, as you just said, they still reflect the huge cash outflows on intangibles as if this is not an, this is not an asset. So this also doesn't, cash flow also doesn't solve this basic problem that you are dealing with, in most cases, very valuable investments that appear as just money spent on past services. Yeah. And also, you, you, you spoke about um, the ability for earnings to be boosted by um, a reduction in investment, which obviously is, is almost counterintuitive. A company stops investing in growth but suddenly its earnings go up. And it's also a route for manipulation, um, as, as you've pointed out in, in, in your work. I mean, I, I find, think that's fascinating. It's, it's uh, exactly, the, uh, yeah, you're, you're perfectly right. Suppose, suppose Pfizer today will stop all its R&D, or let's be more realistic, will we'll, uh, uh, shrink its R&D by uh, uh, 30%. Uh, its income or revenues will not be affected for several years because they will be generated from past investments in those drugs that they still have patents on and will continue. But you will not have in the ink, so the revenues will be the same, maybe even growing, but you won't have the R&D or only part of the R&D in the income statement as an expense. So uh, earnings will be inflated. We look much better than, than they really are. Only six, seven, eight years down the road, you will see that you are in a big trouble, but uh, not currently. So it, it, it works basically for all companies, those that increase investment in intangibles, those that decrease investment in intangibles, Financial reports are irrelevant. And let me give you one, one fascinating uh, proof of this, because there are many people, when, when I say this, they say, Baruch, you exaggerate. They are not irrelevant. Maybe they are somewhat less uh, <coughs> informative than uh, before. So in the United States, uh, the, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, mandated years ago that all companies file their quarterly and annual report through an electronic system, which is called EDGAR. And uh, you, you cannot send it by mail to the SEC. You have to file it. And when they get it, they immediately make it uh, uh, the financial report public. So Edgar is the system that most investors go into to very quickly read the financial reports and draw inferences with respect to uh, investments. They also have very sophisticated uh, uh, search uh, facilities there. If you want to see, for example, in the 250-page report, 
uh, where R and D is mentioned, they really literally tell you page seventy-five, page one hundred twenty, and so on and so on. So not all, but most investors go to Edgar for the financial report. Uh, two years ago, two well-known finance researchers uh, just looked at how many downloads are from Edgar in the day the, the report is published and the following day, which most investors will do it quickly to gain, uh, gain an advantage. And the result is astounding. The average report is downloaded 24.8 times, which means less than 25 downloads for a report. I recently mentioned it in the presentation and I saw immediately a hand uh, goes up and uh, the, the person said, Professor, you, you, you mean 24.8K, like thousand times. <laughs> I said, no, I don't mean K, it's 24.8, which means that no one reads these financial reports. That, that I, I haven't seen more conclusive, <laughs> even humoristic evidence of this thing. I, I recently said that that more people work for the Financial Accounting Standards Board, that's the rule-making body, than, than people, than investors who read their, uh, their report, they are irrelevant. But uh, investors are harmed by this, and particularly the small investors who don't have investigative teams and researchers and others. Uh, the main thing that was aimed at protecting them is no longer working because of those intangibles. And, and, and also I imagine, I mean, it's almost everyone lacks information on those in, hugely invaluable intangible investments if they're not on the balance sheet. And, you know, even before we even go into whether they should be broken down on the balance sheet, there's, um, it's very hard for lenders and sophisticated um, institutional investors to presumably make a decent judgment and to monitor whether capital allocation is being done sensibly by management teams. You're perfectly right. Uh, let me just mention something that uh, is, is uh, one of the main things in, in finance and investment, and usually it goes by the name of value investing. Uh, it goes back many, many years to Bill Graham, who was a teacher at Columbia of Warren Buffett, a legendary guy. And he basically uh, uh, said and, and, and proved without computers at the time on small samples that if you invest in value companies, and he, he defined value companies as companies with low valuation in the market. So he would use the ratio of price to book the value of the company in capital markets relative to the book value, the value of net assets on the balance sheet. So investors valuation of the company and accountants valuation of the company, uh, market value to book value, price to book. And uh, he said, if the price to book ratio is low, 
in many cases, it's because in, uh, investors are making mistakes. They are disgusted with a company that uh, had a lawsuit or had one quarter of losses. They drive down the price. So if you invest in these companies, many of them are undervalued and over time they will reach their uh, correct value and you will make lots of money. And so value investing became a huge thing in finance. There are are literally hundreds, if not thousands of value funds. Problem is that in, in the last 15, 20 years, value investing is not working. And this was a huge puzzle and uh, lots of lots of value funds uh, were closed and, and so on and so on. Uh, I have shown with the co-author that one of the major reasons why it doesn't work is because you measure value incorrectly. You take the price of the stock and you divide by book value from the balance sheet, which misses the most important assets of the company. So in my previous example of Pfizer, the book value will be incredibly small in this case. All the valuable patents are not included as assets in this case. So uh, if you look at at the price to book of Pfizer, it's highly exaggerated, highly overstated because the the denominator is very small. In other cases, it's it's the opposite. And when you correct it, and we did it in a paper, when you correct the book value to include the value of intangibles, you get much higher performance of value investing. Uh, It's still not performing well in recent years, and there are other reasons uh, uh, for it, but it performed much better than with the the nominal price uh, uh, to book. So as you said, it's both the income statement and the balance sheet are distorted, both small investors and sophisticated investors uh, fall into this trap. And I I mean, I I read that paper, um, which I thought was, I mean, quantifying it is so powerful because you can just see what a huge issue it is. Um, But one of the most striking um, figures from it was that you found that 40 to 60% of value and growth stocks were reclassified once you um once you added back the intangibles onto the balance sheet that that's right isn't it i mean it's a huge amount yeah yeah you get the complete reshuffling of both growth stocks these are the so-called highly valued companies and the value stock which are the so-called under undervalued companies you get complete reshuffling of the whole thing when you introduce some sensibility into the accounting. Now, I, I, I suppose the, the, one, the one question, because I mean, I've, I've um, written an article um, about what investors can try to do when they're thinking about this problem. But one of the big questions, which isn't included in that, is um, why is no one changing these rules? It seems, it seems so striking that there's something going wrong, and especially for investors um, who you know, just can't, really see this really valuable information they need 
just you know why why isn't there change happening uh with your permission let me say one thing before i get to this your yeah. question one thing about what investors can do because i would like some of some of the listeners to get something tangible in this case oh good yes this, please from this uh, uh podcast and uh you don't have to wait until the financial accounting standards board or the international accounting standards board will change because uh, i i don't know uh this may take uh, decades until they change i'll get to the reasons uh, uh in a moment But uh, one thing you can do, and I have a paper on it coming out uh, soon, is uh, look at the income that companies report. Again, I, I have to apologize that I'm speaking of U.S. data because these are the data available uh, for me. So the, non, the non-American listeners, I apologize. But in the United States, in 2019, the last good year before COVID, almost 50% of all companies reported losses in, in an incredibly booming economy. And if you talk about intangibles, rich companies like pharmaceutical, like high-tech, 70% reported losses. It just doesn't make any sense. What, what, are, what, what are, can you do with a company that reports losses? Uh, you can dump the stock, but it may, it may be a mistake. So here is my suggestion. It's not accurate, but it's good enough. Look at the, at the income of the company. Uh, it's negative. Uh, it's, it's a loss. Take the R&D from the income statement. R&D is reported in the income statement. Add to it one third of what's known as general and administrative expenses. It's a big uh, item. We, we tend to call it operating costs in the UK. I just... <laughs> yeah, operating costs in, in the UK because many of the Other intangibles, not R&D, are buried in this operating cost or, or general administrative expenses, all the IT expenses, uh, employee training, uh, brand enhancement and creation. All of it is there. And studies show that approximately one third of these expenses are really investment in intangibles. So take the R&D, add to it one-third of operating costs or general administrative expenses, add back to income. Now, if you get, instead of a loss, after adding it back, if you get, instead of a loss, you get a profit, then this is a good company. It had beautiful performance And we show in our paper that investing in these companies are sometimes even better than investing in companies that report uh, profits. If you still get a loss after adding the R&D and the one-third of the administrative or operating costs, then you have a lemon. Then you have a losing company and you can decide whether you want to dump it uh, uh, or not. This is an easy thing that everyone can do and can 
to some extent, not completely, but to some extent, uh, uh, somehow erase this nonsensical uh, financial report. So to your question, uh, why, why the resistance to uh, change? Uh, the politically correct answer, when you speak with those regulators and others, they will say, Investors are hard to uh, intangibles are hard to value. Uh, buildings uh, you can get always uh, an approximate value of a buildings from other buildings in a neighborhood that were sold. But what is the value of the vaccine COVID vaccine patents that AstraZeneca or Pfizer or Moderna developed? Uh, so uh, most people who are not knowledgeable, you know, see this and say, yeah, you know, they are right. Uh, you cannot value uh, intangibles, so you cannot treat them as assets. This is a red herring. This is an excuse for doing nothing. You don't have to value investments. Value the patent of Pfizer, meaning putting a value of something which depends on the future. In order to correct the income statement and the balance sheet, you don't have to value anything. You just have to record the money you spend on research and development, on information technology as an investment, moving it from the income statement to the balance sheet, without any valuation. These are facts. How much did Pfizer spend on research and development leading to the COVID uh, uh, vaccine? I don't have to value the patents. And indeed it's difficult, but you don't need it. So this is really a red herring. Uh, they don't want to do it for the real reason that uh, their main influencers on accounting rules, both in the United States and in the UK and uh, other places, our managers, our executives of companies, they basically determine uh, what these people uh, are doing to a large extent. And they don't want to have the investment in intangibles on the balance sheet because intangibles are very uncertain. I mean, the, the managers of uh, executives of, for example, United Airlines, they, they don't lose sleep that someone during the night will steal their airplanes. But uh, uh, executives of companies rich in, rich in patents lose sleep on, some, on people stealing the patents. This mm -hmm. is simply called infringement of patents, there are thousands and thousands of patent infringement lawsuits in the United States every, every year. So you can have those investment in intangibles and they can vanish. And if they vanish, you have to write them off, which means you have to recognize a loss. And this is an embarrassment to managers. They'll have to explain to the board. They'll have to explain to shareholders. Why did I invest $2 billion in developing a drug that really doesn't work or is inferior to uh, competitors? They don't want this thing. 
and with them accountants also don't want to be blamed if the intangibles vanish that they certified a, a balance sheet with uh, not, uh, uh, assets that are not uh, valuable. So the main influencers resist a change. They don't care that the financial report doesn't provide uh, uh, information. And that's why you don't get a change. And also in terms of um, changing the standards that exist, I mean, it seems like it's very much um, would be in investors' interest to see a change in the way intangibles are treated. Why, um, why do you think investors haven't pushed hard on this or had their voices heard? Uh, there is some push from investors. There is, for example, in the UK or in all other countries, not just the UK, that follow the international accounting rule, uh, there is a small step with respect to R&D, not all intangibles, but just R&D beyond a certain point of development of a product when you have technological feasibility, you can start capitalizing the, the R&D. Uh, and, and I have a study that shows that indeed for those companies that capitalize R&D, the earnings number is much more meaningful is better predictor of future performance of companies. This is a very small step. It's just R&D, not, not all other uh, intangibles, and it's not even in the, in the United States. Uh, partly it's because of the push of in, uh, investors, but the push is not extreme. And the, re the reason, and I must say, I usually speak from evidence. I speak from data. Here I speculate. I think that you don't see a big push of the big investors because they think that they can overcome it. That the fact that the financial reports don't provide perfect information is an advantage to them. They have ways of... of uh, circumventing uh, these things. More and more, uh, these sophisticated investors are looking for what usually known now as alternative data, non-accounting data. So I'm sure that you are familiar with, with this example that there are several companies that provide you with satellite images of parking lots of, of retailers. And from the intensity of cars in the parking lots, they can predict the revenues of these companies. So these alternatives to accounting are growing, but they are very, very expensive. So the big investors get this data and they think that that uh, really uh, uh, deficient financial reports are an advantage to them. They disadvantage all the small ones that cannot, cannot use alternative, cannot pay for alternative data, and they can, they can do it. Uh, this is really a misconception. So alternative data are sparse, are here and there, not for all industries, not for all data. And as I said, they are very, very uh, expensive. Uh, there will always be a role for good financial reports, and now they are extremely flawed. Yeah. And 
Also, in your, reading your work, I, um, I was very interested in just how simple um, you make it sound, potentially the chat. I know, I know in um, the, your book, The End of Accounting, there's some more um, sophisticated um, ideas about how, how, how we could check how accounts could be changed. But in terms of the kind of big wins, just simply um, capitalising intangibles and then using um, existing uh, rules around uh, acquired intangibles could actually go a long way to fixing the problem. Yeah, definitely. I didn't want to promote uh, my recent book, The End of Accounting. Oh, I I've done it for you. <laughs> you. You have done it uh, for me. And there we go in detail into how, how you can do the more accurate uh, uh, adjustment. And I did it in, in a, a subsequent uh, uh, paper. It can be done to some extent. You cannot completely do it. And one of the major reasons is that all over the world, except for R&D, all other intangibles are buried in big expense items. So you don't really know. I mean, it's, it, it, it boggles the mind that in the income statement, you have an expense like interest. But a much more important expense or investment, uh, like in, in information technology, you are not obliged to uh, report. You are not obliged to report uh, in, uh, spending on training employees. Isn't it extremely important to investors to know whether you continue to develop your workforce or you let it you let it go down, die on the vine. Uh, in this case, so you can do some things to uh, ameliorate the problem, but not completely uh, solve it unless the unless accounting reports uh, will be changed. That's um, I mean, it's, there seems to be a very strong case for it. I, I was just wondering. In terms of how well understood you feel the problem is, there are quite a lot of papers which came out last year which um, attempted to quantify the issue. And I've seen some in previous years. And obviously you, you put out your paper as well. Do you think the um, issue is becoming better understood and really having the light start to be shone on it now? It's definitely better understood, uh, particularly uh, by people who follow the literature as you do, and others, these are sophisticated people. Uh, the, the big masses uh, really don't do these things and are not, uh, are not aware of the problem. That's why you get craziness like GameStop in the United States increasing 1,500% in, in one day. Uh, there is no mooring of the data. There are no fundamentals that you can really attach uh, and, and decide where, what, is, what is the value of, uh, of uh, the company. So uh, there is a problem. Uh, more and more people know about it. There is no doubt uh, about this. Uh, uh, when I talked uh, in previous years, you know, people were astounded by these things. Now they said, okay, we know. But uh, what, what can we do? What can we do to overcome these, uh, these problems? So it's, it's, uh, there is a growing knowledge. Maybe this 
will be uh, a push on, on regulators to uh, change some things. But I don't see it coming soon. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How, 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 how high are your hopes that um, we will get change and, um, and when? Well, if I were your age, I would be very hopeful that in my lifetime uh, it will change. In my age, I doubt whether it will change in my lifetime. But I hope that maybe in, uh, you know, uh, seven, eight, ten years, there will be a significant change. Uh, maybe, maybe even sooner. So let's hope and let's, let's uh, try do uh, our own uh, adjustments as much as we can and maybe join some kinds of coalitions and others to lobby uh, those uh, regulators to change it. Because the fact is that intangibles will not change. The investment will just increase. The problem will become worse and worse. So this is not a blip that you can wait for a few years and say, oh, okay, life will go back to normal. Uh, machines will be the main investments of companies. These days will not return. No, okay, well, that's... That's fantastic. I think this is a very important kind of conversation podcast for our listeners. And um, it's been really great to talk to you um, and hear, hear, hear about your work and your ideas, because, as I said, it's incredibly important. Thank you very much.